This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. So the impact of some of this down in the lower mainland is so much less extreme. But we can see, smell, taste the air quality, which is horrendous. This morning, the regional district, meaning the Metro Vancouver Regional District, did issue an air quality advisory. Uh, A statement is now in effect. That's one step below. But the actual air quality, you can tell it. Just by going outside, it's bad. And for some of us, show contributor Jerry Mayer Judson, that's really not great. You're one that suffers more than most people. Fair to say? Uh, fair to say, I think. I was just out there uh, not too long ago, and I'm still kind of out of breath because that air quality is atrocious for those of us who have uh, underlying conditions such as asthma, which is me, uh, and then COPD, of course, including bronchitis, emphysema, other lung diseases, heart diseases, diabetes, people um, who are socially marginalized as well, like folks who are underhoused or experiencing homelessness, construction workers if you're working outside, All kinds of people are disproportionately affected by this just god-awful air quality. As much as I can complain for living in Metro Van, where it is not actively ablaze, but still, it's it's unpleasant. And it's not just uh, our area here in the Lower Mainland where we're broadcasting from. Uh, Lots of areas in the interior also have, off and on, depending upon the weather, this terrible air quality. I was looking at a map, by the way. I love maps. It's kind of my (laughs) thing. But I was looking at a map of the air and the particulate matter from the forest fires. Mm -hmm. And uh, basically, it goes in a swirling pattern where the poor quality air goes north through to the Caribou, around Prince George, then out to the coast and the northern tip of Vancouver Island. Oh. Yeah. Here's something you would not expect or I didn't expect. Some areas of places like Port Hardy. On the close to the northern tip of Vancouver Island, the air quality was much, much worse than anything we've had here in Metro Vancouver or even the Fraser Valley. Jeepers creepers, will my heart and ailing lungs go out to those folks in Port Hardy? And uh, that that is astronomically terrible. We're at just... uh just a five, I think, right now out of a possible 10 for yeah. badness of air quality. So, Which is not as bad as it was back on the weekend. No. So that is that is good at least. I don't know. I'm just like anecdotally, and the plural of anecdotes is not data. But for me, like today, <laughs> yeah. I think today was like the worst day. I live uh, a three-minute hoof from the SkyTrain station. And I think good by the time... the word hoof. Thank you. <laughs> I, um, and I think I was... I mean, okay, like whatever. I'm not like a, I'm not a sprinter. I'm not a marathon runner. But I was fully just out of breath. I think at minute one, I think yeah. I barely like cleared my apartment building, and she was just, <laughs> she was huffing and puffing. It's um, yeah, it's super wild, and you don't expect it to blow sort of like 
I don't know. The weather moves west to east. It should move west to east. So I didn't expect we'd get so heavily no. impacted. You know, last night when I went to bed, I started coughing a little bit later at night. And yeah. we had talked yesterday on the show. Uh, this wasn't unexpected that the air would be getting worse. And I thought, okay, I'm coughing now. Mm. I can actually tell. I could taste it. I don't really have lung problems, although I had pneumonia some years ago. Okay. And I've never been as good afterwards. For sure. But uh, this morning coming downstairs, mm-hmm. bedrooms upstairs, going downstairs. When I walked down the stairs, I uh, walked toward the kitchen and I could just could notice it was just thick inside. Yeah. And they say, stay indoors, stay indoors. Well, indoors, you could smell it. You could taste it. When I got out of my apartment and into the hallway where the elevators are, I uh, I was like, there is, it, there's a bunch of smoke in the hallway. That's wacky. I was going to, yeah, Bruce, ask you how, how you were faring um, with the, with the smoke and whatnot. Yeah, it's yeah. not great. Um, <laughs> now I, you know, I'm really not a great exercise guru uh, to begin with. So I haven't really curtailed my activities so much. Uh, dog walking, we're still doing it, obviously, mm-hmm. because you have to. I don't think the puppy notices it much, <laughs> except here's an interesting one. Yeah. We're looking at our little Labradoodle walking around, and every time you get more smoke in the air, that nose is going like you wouldn't believe. Oh, like you really? see the little nose sniffing away. Yeah. So there is, you know, something going on, whether he's aware of it or not. The puppy can uh, tell. There are some tips, by the way, and this is handed by, out by the regional district Things you can do if the air quality really does impact you. Postpone or reduce outdoor physical activity. That while the fine particulate matter is uh, in the air. Um, Also, your exposure to um, some of the things that cause more of the problems where you are, the different buildings you can be in. And to revisit what we heard yesterday, Mm -hmm. if you need to go to an area, this is true not only for smoke, but also for some of the higher temperatures that we've seen off and on, go to a mall. They're oh, better. Yeah. The air is actually clean. And uh, that's something you may want to take in. Cut down on some of the outdoor work. Yeah, you get a free pass. Don't mow the lawn. Yeah, thank right? goodness. You don't get to mow your very golden drought riddled lawn. No Great. More, <laughs> yeah, no more gardening. Um, and this is just something that you may want to do or be aware of. By the way, with uh, the temperature changes, smoke comes and goes, depending upon the wind. Mm -hmm. And we know that this weekend may be a lot different, and uh, it may be back to improving again, but that's just for now. We go through these ups and downs and different points over the course of a summer of when the air quality really gets worse. Have you seen a wildfire season? Because you're from British yeah. Columbia. You've been here your Covered whole them, life, yeah. more or less. So Reported have, on them. Yes, you're you're pretty experienced. Have you seen a wildfire season, just personally, anecdotally? Have you seen people be affected this much by air quality via wildfires and all your years reporting on them? There have been years in the lower mainland where the air has been really bad. This is by far not the worst year for air quality here Okay. in the lower mainland. In the interior, depending upon where you are, I think it can be considered really a terrible year. Is it the worst? Hard to say. Mm -hmm. If I was in the central Okanagan, I would venture to say, even though they had a big wildfire back in 2003 and the other one in 2008 or 2009, um, and those were bad years. A couple years ago was also a bad year, two years ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, They were heavy, heavy smoke in the area. Um, but I don't know. I, I think this is 
got to be one of the worst years for those areas of the interior. If you're in the shoe swap, boy, that's awful. Oh, absolutely. I, and it just seems to be just a just a never ending sort of nightmare that's ongoing because of the lack of rain we've had. And also, uh, yeah, the, the dry lightning. If there is an upside to this, I don't know. Are you a photographer? I'm not, but I know some and I feel like you would get some very interesting pictures of uh, celestial yes. bodies, the full moon the on full the 30th. Moon, right. That'll look really cool. And sunsets are absolutely beautiful. Um it's almost you may feel guilty taking in some of these uh, phenomenal things, but it is uh, kind of eerie, kind of beautiful. That's just something that is more on the benefit side to some of this smoke. I like that. You got to find a silver lining. Go. Good way to wrap it up. Jerry, thanks so much. Thanks for sharing. Thank you. You and I have that in common too. We uh, <laughs> are struggling a little bit with today's air. Thanks so much. Jerry Mayer, Judson Show contributor. Here's one I see. The city of Vancouver is now out distributing online a survey asking for feedback on people's priorities ahead of the upcoming budget in 2024. This as everyone talks and complains about taxes. Well, Stephen Chang has been looking into this. Stephen, thanks so much for joining us, producer extraordinaire. Hello, Brucey. Thanks for uh, allowing me to do this. Stephen. And uh, what have uh, what have you been finding out? Well, so because the survey came out, I just decided to go around Vancouver here, especially in the downtown area. I wanted to see what people were thinking were the number one issue uh, that the city needs to focus on in their next budget. So I do have a list here from the survey itself. We tried to take it this morning. Uh, a, bunch, a bunch of the topics here are the issues, rather, are fire and rescue services, housing, reconciliation, civic amenities like community centers and libraries, climate action, arts and culture, parks and equity and social issues. Those are just some of the top the, the issues here that are listed, and they ask you to pick the top five. But I wanted to ask Vancouverites here in the area what their number one issue is. And um, here's what I gathered today. So the city of Vancouver just put out this survey online uh, today and they're asking people what they think the biggest issues are in the city that they should focus on in their budget for 2024. Uh, This list is from the survey itself. So I was wondering if you could take a look and see, let me know which one you think is the biggest issue that they should focus on and why that is. Oh, interesting. Um, I am a student, so I think housing is a big issue, Um, just like in terms of like cost of living and everything. Um, Yeah, it's more affordable housing, I guess. Okay, sounds good. Thanks for your time. Yeah, thank you. Take care. Uh, uh, housing, because there's so many homeless, right? And, you know, the rent, the price of housing is so high, no one can afford it. Like myself, I'm homeless because of that. So. Uh, housing, because it's uh, unaffordable. People are struggling every day to pay their rent, pay their bills. It's getting out of control. And what would you like to see improve um, in terms of housing in Vancouver? Uh, rental caps, uh, even like land caps, you know, for your property going up every year, you know, in price. So. I think the equity and social issues with homelessness and the opioids. And why is that? Uh, just because you see it, no matter where you are. I would say definitely housing. Um, as one of the main ones, actually. Well, I mean, 
everything that's going on right now, like, you know, people are, they can't afford to, like, rent or let alone, like, buy anything, right? Like, um, it's really tough, the housing market, you know, and everybody knows it, right? Like, when they talk about Vancouver, it's, like, one of the most expensive cities, like, to rent. Um, and I've seen, like, a lot of people, like, you know, they have to have a roommate in order to rent an apartment to live, you know. So definitely housing, I think, you know, would be one of the main ones. And, like, not just renting, but also being able to afford something in the future, right? It's almost nearly impossible for, like, you know, for a single person or for something, yeah, to buy something or to afford. I actually am a very, I don't get involved in politics, but I, I recognize that this issue is really important because not, we have all of these poor people living on the streets and then the average person can't afford to live in a, and have a home. So obviously that's something that I would say every single person that I encounter, that's an issue for them. Housing, because we don't have any. Glide exactly. <laughs> and, and rents. Rents, yeah, so rents, rents are just down. insane. And they just keep going up. I think I heard 3,000. We've hit a 3,000 for one bedroom now. And the homeless situation, too, is part of that, right? My other major beef, <laughs> e-bikes, e-scooters on the sidewalks. I've been knocked over by them. Yes. I've been bumped. I've been yeah, told to piss off. I stop. I, I'm so frustrated with these people. And, that, and they speed. They're like, here, you sit here. You watch them go from here, down here. Not on the bike path. The sidewalk. They come right at you. Yeah, and, you're, and you're walking. And they just keep coming with a stupid stare. Like, you're supposed to jump out of their way on a sidewalk. So that pisses me off. That's my big beef. Wonderful. Thank I feel better. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for the therapy. <laughs> I, <laughs> so, I'm happy to help. Thank you so much for your time. Producer Stephen Chang talking with people, uh, I guess, in downtown Vancouver is where you're getting one common theme. But uh, I wonder if that's kind of the same if you went to almost any other area in the city. What do you think? Uh, it could be different. But, I mean, then again, housing is a major issue, not just in Vancouver, like, proper. But even if you go to any other city in Metro Vancouver or even outside of that, um, as you can see from the people who are talking uh, in the interviews that I did, everybody thinks housing is an issue no matter where you are inside and out of Vancouver. because nobody can afford anything. Yeah. Rents are expensive. Like a one-bedroom now. Three thousand dollars. That's ridiculous, right? Buying a home itself is such a struggle nowadays, even for like the first person I spoke to, which was a student, right? No matter what. There was even the homeless guy who I talked to because of how expensive like housing is. And I feel like a lot of the issues on this list as well are core like correlated to housing too. Um, for example, homelessness is definitely one. Um just affordability, equity and social issues. Um a lot of people think housing is the number one issue, but you do get the off chance that you talk to someone like the last uh, man I spoke yeah. to who I fortunately had scooters. Yeah, I had the privilege of giving him like a free therapy session because he's just frustrated with e-scooters. So that kind of falls in line with infrastructure and transportation. And I feel like that's kind of something that's been talked about every now and then in the city as well or even outside of it. But it, yeah, you can all agree housing. That surprises me, though, Stephen. Yeah. Uh, nobody, and I don't know if it's a question on here, but nobody really is talking about the other one that politicians who ran for council were talking about, and that is public safety and policing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting one. Uh, yeah, not. I feel like right now, compared to like the last few months, there hasn't been much talk about uh, like harm reduction, crime, or anything along the lines of that. But I, I still think that there is a correlation with housing there. Yeah, absolutely. Any surprise for you? Uh, I wasn't surprised at all. Uh, when I got all this feedback about people saying housing is the number one issue, 
it, it made sense. Like, it's been a conversation for the past few months. A lot of people are having issues with affordability, uh, even just trying to find a place to live. Even uh, like people who would move in here, like they're just new to Vancouver. They're new to Canada. Like this morning, I spoke to someone in the gym and he was having rental struggles because his wife is moving in as well, like in a month from now. And he's like trying to find a place to live. He doesn't want to share a home with his wife and like three other roommates, right? He want, obviously they want to have their own space, but then it's even hard to find one or afford something like that. So that is definitely an ongoing issue for the months to come, even in 2024. Is there a blank box on the survey? There is an other section in this page okay. specifically. So if anybody has any other issues, like if the guy wants to write e-scooters on this box, uh, yeah. it's perfect. And uh, I do want to let everyone know that if you uh, want to give in your two cents into this survey of uh, what could be, different in vancouver what the city needs to focus on their next budget uh the website is shapeyourcity.ca slash budget that's where you can get the survey again it's uh shapeyourcity.ca slash budget well thanks so much stephen chang producer this episode is brought to you by shopify do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it a real pos you need shopify for retail From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. Well, late yesterday on the social media platform formerly known as Twitter, now known as X. Former Premier Christy Clark had this post, and I will read it. It's hard to imagine a slower response to BC's wildfires than the one we have just witnessed. A weeks-long delay to declare a state of emergency is way too long. We know wildfires are going to happen here. Why was BC so woefully underprepared? Well, Christy Clark, former Premier of the province, joins me now. Christy, thanks so much for being with us, and uh, great to talk with you again. Yeah, nice to be back and, and speaking with you, Bruce. I, I, you know, my heart, I, you, I represented West Kelowna, as you know. Indeed you did. I know I'm, my heart is just breaking for so many friends and people that I know in that region, up in Shushwap as well, and Scotch Creek. This has just been absolutely devastating for people and you know i think it it's incumbent on all of us to think about okay how do we do this better because clearly the government's response to these firefighters did not meet the test that it it, it needed to meet you know i get a little bit frustrated when i see newser after newser where three quarters of the newser is patting yourself on the back and that's not to say that the people fighting the fires aren't heroes They definitely are. But there was uh, a lack of information going forward, and this is not even in the past leading up to the fires, but a lack of information and delays at a time when people really wanted to get more information. 
Is this part of your frustration or is it uh, totally focused on not being prepared in the first place? Well, I think it's both, Bruce. I mean, I think that the problem is is really multifaceted here. So I think on the one hand, the government was not planning for this, and which is seems crazy given we know how climate change is affecting forest fires all around the world. We see it everywhere. We've seen it ca- happening in British Columbia more intensely every year. They could have planned better for this. I think that, you know, in terms of having more planes available to fight the fires, have a new strategy to make sure that we're really controlling some wildfires before they become a problem for urban centers. But then there's also, you know, I think you're right. We should be, government should be communicating really um, intently and purposefully with the public who are going to be affected about how they can help. And, you know, you talk to the people up in Scotch Creek, up in, in North Shushwap there, they, they've been prevented from going back to their properties to try and protect them when BC Wildfire Service has been pulled out. And, you know, maybe there are things we can do to allow people who are in fire zones to actually help and, you know, and make make citizens part of the solution. You can't always do that. People shouldn't be in situations that are too dangerous for them. But for goodness sakes, I just think that everything, just about everything that could have gone wrong with government's response to this, did go wrong, and um, thank goodness we've got, as you say, those heroes out there on the front lines fighting the fires. But I don't think we can keep um, we can keep going on this way. We have to find a new strategy. Christy, remember back in July of 2015, West Kelowna, you took a tour of the area, and at the time, and this is now eight years ago, you said BC must continue to fight climate change, be prepared for wildfires, and have the necessary resources to fight them. Eight years ago, what the hell yeah. happened? I know it ain't. This ain't new, Bruce. That's the thing. And I, you know, I, the, I. One of the things that was a real signal to me that the government was not ready for this is that they took so long to declare a state of emergency. And I know government's view because I heard this when I was there. Oh well, we have all the tools that we need. We don't need to do this. Yada yada. Well, you know what? Government does need political people need to call a state of emergency. Um, sooner rather than later, often, because it gives everybody, it puts everybody um, in, in, in some, in different respects, kind of on the front line. It really means that everybody fully engages, whether it's local government, citizens, businesses, um, you name it, everybody suddenly becomes part of the solution. And the longer you take to call the state of emergency, um, the longer it takes to bring all those forces to bear. And forest fires can't be just fought by the folks out there in the wildfire service. We've all got to be doing, contributing in some way or another. And one of those, Bruce, of course, is preparedness throughout the year. So that's going out and making sure that um, communities are, are, that houses are being built Right, that we're giving tax breaks for the right kind of renovations and landscaping changes that means that houses are less likely to catch on fire. Cleaning up the forest floor, all those kinds of things can be done between forest fire seasons. But government hasn't put any focus on that at all. And this is the result. You know, Christy, I'm not going to give you a free ride here. I'm going to bring up uh, 2003. Remember the wildfire in uh, Kelowna back then and the report that came out afterwards? You were in government. Did you pick up on those recommendations? 
You know, I was there for another couple of years after that forest fire. I remember I was a cabinet at the time. And, um, you know, my, my recollection of it was Gordon Campbell, when he was the premier, made a huge effort on that front. Now, you know, the whole problem wasn't as acute as it is now. We didn't know how frequent it was going to be. But, I mean, that government introduced carbon legislation, carbon tax legislation, revenue neutral, that was the best, according to the World Bank and, um, and the United Nations, the best in the world at to fight climate change. But also went out and worked with communities. You know, what about all that cedar on your roof? Maybe you shouldn't have kindling on the roof of your house because it's probably going to catch fire. Went out and worked to um, support communities in cleaning up the forest floor. So a lot of that work did get done. But I have to apologize, Bruce. After 2005, I went to work at CKNW, yep. and um, I didn't. I, I didn't follow it as closely after that. No, I hear you, and uh, there are, you know, ways of looking back into the past too. Now we're dealing with the future and going forward, and we have to be more prepared. And that was basically what you're getting at in this very short thread on X that you posted, and I understand it. One suggestion coming out is to have maybe a new agency in the province that would be prepared to react very quickly in the case of an emergency. And that suggestion is going a step further than the provincial emergency program. Do you think that may be something that would be warranted? I think it could be. It could be one of the solutions. I'm sure there'll be lots of good ideas that come out, but that would certainly, I mean, certainly work. One of the things I, that I think we need to do, though, and I said this when I posted on X Twitter, um, maybe we should be thinking about some kind of public inquiry where we are consulting with communities, really getting the best ideas and about how we are going to be prepared. What are the things that we need to do at the end of this fire season so that we are ready for the next one, anticipating that this problem is only going to get worse and more frequent um, rather than just saying, well, we hope it's not a bad fire season next year, which seems to be what government is doing now. And uh, so I think a complete rethink of the way we do it is important. And then I think it could be a specific agency that is dedicated to, to firefighting because the emergency management um, ministry, which is a ministry that, you know, that I created, um, is also thinking about earthquakes and floods and a whole range of other very different um, uh, phenomena, disaster-related phenomena. But, you know, the forest fire thing is like an earthquake, we should be prepared for it for sure. But how many, you know, every hundred years does that happen? Forest fires are going to happen every year, and we need a new strategy. And the government cannot continue to sit on its heel and just wait for it to, you know, hope it doesn't happen next year. Christy, I hear what you're saying. Got to ask you, do you miss it? Uh, you know, Bruce, I, it's funny, eh? I, people ask me that all the time. And here's what I miss. Well, here's what I don't miss. I don't miss kind of, you know, losing so much time with my family and, and my son. And, you know, I don't miss sometimes the intrusions into my privacy. I don't, I don't miss having people yell at me, <laughs> I guess. But, you know, I do miss how fulfilling it was. There is nothing you can do in your life, I don't think, that is as fulfilling as that kind of public service. And every day, because when you're in government, when you're the premier, you can help change in small ways people's lives for the better every day. 
And I do miss that part of it um, a lot. But, you know, it's one of those peak experiences. Maybe I'll never have an experience as great as that again, but I really, I I loved doing it. And Are you going I'm to run for MP? <laughs> yeah, which I knew. I knew that's where this was going, Bruce. I don't have any plans to get back into politics. I have a, I have a, I have a, a pretty nice private life right now, and I. But I sure still really care a lot about our province and the people in it, those communities I used to represent. And I, all I want now is to maybe you know be a small voice who's recommending ways to make sure that we can look after people better. Christy you know? Clark, nobody would ever say that you're a small voice. Not then. Not now. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time. Always a pleasure. We'll have to get together and chat. I'd be delighted, Bruce. Thank you very much for having me. Many of us, myself included, woke up this morning to stinky air and some unsightly clouds blocking some of our favorite vistas. But uh, that's one thing. The other thing is, is the bad air and the air quality that we saw, especially this morning, is it really dangerous to most of us, or is it just more of a nuisance unless you have some of these pre-existing conditions that many of us talk about? Well, let's get some answers by bringing in Dr. Barinder Narang, family physician and Global News CKNW medical contributor. Doctor, thanks so much for being with us. Good afternoon, Bruce. I hope you're doing well. Well, I'm doing okay, but I got to say that I went to bed last night. I coughed a little bit, and um, I thought, okay, it's starting. And then this morning, woke up, and actually in the bedroom, it was fine. Down below, not so fine when we got to the kitchen. And uh, boy, it, it makes you think. And some people get really worried. Who needs to worry? And who needs to be just kind of okay and just take it in stride? Yeah, I mean, I wish I knew who should worry. I think part of it is that often the uh, the nature of um, worry is that we can't predict how it's going to affect us. So I think part of this is the first step is to identify what are we dealing with. So what is wildfire smoke? The complex mixture of gases, small particles. And as we've noticed from last night to today, it can change very quickly. And, and we know even like us in the lower mainland, we're um, we've been relatively isolated from the wildfires um, um, that happened in the interior this week that um, that the air has changed very drastically in that time to the point where in the Fraser Valley, you're there, uh, based on the air quality index, it's considered high risk. And in the uh, lower mainland in more Vancouver, Richmond area, it's in that moderate to high risk. And so what does that mean for the person? I think that's what we look at is a person's worry is that like what is their individual risk? And it goes back to some of the stuff we've talked about over the last couple of years. It's like, what is your cardiovascular status? What is your uh, respiratory status? Like how healthy are your lungs and your heart? The most symptoms for someone um, like 20 year old who doesn't have any lung problems, yeah, maybe you'll get some sore throat, eye irritation, runny nose. It's going your body will sense the irritation. It'll cause an inflammatory response. Once the irritant is gone, the inflammation will heal. A few days later, you probably won't notice anything. But we need to worry about the people who are predisposed to certain conditions. That's what we talk about. Um, um, like people who might have structural problems, whether that's in their lungs, such as asthma or emphysema, or people who might have diabetes, which might impact 
their immune system, people who are pregnant, who their physiology is different. And so they react to external irritants separately, and then the elderly and small children. So there's a lot of different considerations there. So if you were somebody, say, in your mid-50s, and this morning you wanted to run up the stairs because you forgot something and suddenly you felt, you know, that's not the same as most days when I run up the stairs. Uh, I'm actually panting a little bit. Is it something that you should end up being a little bit worried about? Do you suddenly fall under that category of someone that needs to take more precautions when we run into these smoke situations? Speaking for a friend, of course. (laughs) Well, I guess uh it comes down to how well controlled are the conditions that you have. And so part of it is the only variable that today the smoke was different, or is this, you know, yesterday when the the air quality might've been uh, the same that you also felt it. So I think part of that is like people can have chronic conditions that have variable levels of control. So if you have a chronic condition, do you have um, rescue medication? Sometimes if someone has heart disease, they need to take a, um, an angina puffer, like a nitro spray under their tongue, or if they have asthma or COPD, you might have what we call reliever puffers. So I think part of that is having a plan in place, whether and this is how we counsel our patients, like if you have, um, you know, um, infection or respiratory season coming up, what are you, what is your plan for if you get sick? Okay, here's your, your regular medications that you take if you're doing well. What are the rescue medications you take um, if you start feeling, uh, you know, irritable or your lungs start feeling irritable? I think part of that is if you're feeling like that inside, is there a way that you can optimize that environment you're living in? Um, if people, you know, we've been talking about HEPA filters or um, keeping the windows and doors closed during these high smoke times to try to keep that outside the house as much possible. Make sure that the indoor temperature as much as you can is at a comfortable level. level. Um, those are things we can do inside. Hydration, absolutely important because like we, I talked about more Specific symptoms people can have, especially related to lungs or their upper respiratory tract, but people can also have very generalized symptoms, headaches, dizziness, and a lot of that can be related to just dehydration. And so just making sure you're staying hydrated is important. And of course, um, you or your friend who's in the mid-50s and is cognizant of this, you have the faculties um, to take care of yourself and the tools and means to do that, but not everyone has that. So is, is there anyone in your life that you feel, okay, I should be checking in on? And um, if they're not able to understand or um, you know, have the tools to address them, that themselves, how can you help them? Doctor, uh, you, do you end up seeing, like in family practice, more patients when you run into these smoke events or even the heat events, is this a time of year where more people are coming in and saying, hey, this is happening to me? And you have to say, I think it's related to what's happening with uh, with the climate. I th- my experience, um, knowing that and there's different settings, when we talk about family practice, there are some people who will be working in emergency rooms and urgent cares and then in our kind of our long longitudinal clinics. So, you know, a lot of people who have acute issues do tend to go to emergency room or walk-ins or urgent care right now. Um, and so me, myself, I haven't seen a lot yet this week, but I know my, definitely my colleagues working in those different settings have, definitely have. I know over the last few years, we've been noticing um, differences in, in uh, allergy seasons. They've been coming more severe, um, more 
uh, prolonged. Um, that can be in skin conditions. It can be in your um, allergic, like runny nose symptoms, or it can be asthma. Um, so definitely that. And then with the heat, the dehydration, the confusion, definitely there's been an impact on visits to the emergency room. And we all know the impact the heat dome um, and how it disproportionately impacted people who were um, elderly living isolated and there was evidence showing that it, it actually disproportionately impacted patients with schizophrenia as well because of their living situations and so i think part of it is the the we're looking at individual aspects of the impact of climate change and a lot of people have been saying well you know we're years away from that happening but no these are very real changes now that we're going to be seeing every year well, I appreciate your time on that. And uh, seeing it every year is one thing. The other thing is how many times over the course of one season. I don't think we're through it yet. <laughs> but uh, yeah. that's just me. Doctor, thank you. Always have a great weekend. Take care. Good news for my Labradoodle sketch. Tomorrow, yeah, it's going to be his day. It's International Dog Day, a day to celebrate our dogs. And talking about dogs and what they do or give back to us and our lives, they mean a lot in sometimes the lives of those who really need an extra boost. And the question comes up, how Vancouver retirement residents are enhancing seniors' lives with the well-being dogs. Yeah, that's the thing, well-being dogs. Um, Christina Shearer is a life uh, enrichment coordinator from Amica Lionsgate. Christina, thanks for being with us. And uh, tell me about the connection between dogs and those who are living in, like, long-term care. Yeah, so I bring my dog, Bailey, into our long-term care as well as our memory care in independent living neighbourhoods. And it's quite amazing, actually, when we first walk in to the neighborhood all the residents eyes just light up when they see her Um, they bring so many smiles to so many faces yeah dogs are incredible they enrich our seniors lives so much and uh, yeah it's really amazing and you see a reaction even with people who are suffering from various forms of dementia they will react to an animal a pet a dog right Yes, absolutely. It's it's quite incredible. They, um, for example, some of our mem- or um, our residents with with Alzheimer's and dementia, when I bring Bailey in, they just light up and they'll start having a conversation with Bailey and talk to her, whereas they might ha- struggle or have limitations communicating to a person. So it's 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 really quite amazing the therapeutic impact dogs have on seniors, especially with uh, memory care or memory issues, yeah. Christina, tell me about your path to doing this. How did you first hear that the dogs may have an impact? Was it through research or others' experiences? Through other experiences, actually. Uh, When I was a university student, um, similar programs would bring therapy dogs in around exam time. And I know as a student, it was much needed (laughs) therapy to get through the stress of university. Um, And then I, with Bailey, stumbled upon this therapy program called Pets and Friends. It's a local Vancouver pet therapy organization. And I thought Bailey, my dog, would be the right fit for it. (laughs) And what about the dogs? 
Do they understand that some people maybe are a little bit more vulnerable than others? And do they approach maybe somebody with dementia a little bit differently than they would approach uh, maybe a friend that uh, is going out for coffee with you? Yes, it is amazing to see the differences, especially not just my dog. I've seen it with other dogs as well. Um, I really, truly believe that dogs have that sixth sense of knowing who needs them the most at that time. And that's especially clear when we're going into, like I said, the memory care neighborhoods or long-term care neighborhoods. Um, The dogs will go right up to the residents, lean into them, lay down in front of them, and the residents just sit and we'll, we'll pet them for however long they need to pet them for. Have you heard after the success of what's happened with your dog, others being interested in doing the same thing at other long-term care homes? Yes, I have actually. Some of my fellow coworkers at Amica actually are curious or inquiring about getting their own dog certified so that they can share their dog with other communities as well. And what is the certification involving? What do you have to do? Well, first, um, you can decide which organization you want to go with. Um, The big one is St. John's Ambulance. And then the one that I went through, like I said, is called Pets and Friends, which is a local one in Vancouver. Um, Your dog needs to be approachable, calm. Um, They go through various amounts of temperament tests. Um, So, you know, the organization doesn't accept every single dog, unfortunately, but um, they, they accept the ones that are quite calm and will be okay being around individuals who are vulnerable. Okay. Does Bailey get extra treats for a good day? Oh my gosh. Yes. And tomorrow, tomorrow, international dog day. Pardon me? Extra treats for Bailey tomorrow. Yes, absolutely. Lots and lots. Okay. Thanks so much for spending time with us. A worthwhile cause. You see so many of these different surveys that involve Gen Z, Gen Z. This one comes out and says, and I don't think it's too much of a surprise, but Gen Z, Z, leads the way in Canadians' overwhelming adoption of Interact Debit mobile payments. Well, we bring in talk show contributor Jerry Mayer Judson to take a look at this. Um, I'm not too terribly surprised by that. No, right? It as seems. long as we don't make assumptions <laughs> and start saying, hey, old man, that means you don't know anything about technology. Uh, what have you found out here? Well, so they did this, uh, interacted this survey. And so between August 20, 2022 and July 2023, Canada overall saw a 53% increase in debit payment via their mobile devices in stores. Uh, and then a 17% increase in mobile debit payments for e-commerce transactions. That's kind of when you say, like, yeah, I'll do that on Apple pay basically and yeah gen z leading the charge i talked to nader hennen he is the assistant vice president of commerce at interac about why we saw such an uptick this year the most important reason that consumers have been adopting uh, this service is convenient consumer can use their smartphones and smartwatches at any point of time anywhere to pay for the goods and services 
And interesting enough, two-thirds of Canadians expect that it will be soon very normal to uh, leave your home without the physical wallet, knowing that they can pay with the smartphone or the smartwatch. So in summary, it's a huge milestone to hit 1 billion transactions over a 12-month period. Oh, for sure. Because it's more popular, right, among the younger folks like the Gen Z, right? Yep, that's correct. You know, historically, Gen Z have been always the early adopters for any new technology that make their day-to-day life easier. And payment specifically, it touched everyone on a day-to-day basis. Nearly 8 in 10 of the Gen Z adults pay using their phone, leading the older age groups uh, including their parents' uh, generation as well. Older older adults might cite security concerns as to why they're not using their phone to pay with their Interact card, but is that not backwards? There have been definitely some concerns raised uh, during the survey that we ran um, recently about security specifically from Gen X uh, for using their mobile for contactless payments. But the good thing is here, which the survey revealed as well, that uh, their kids or the Gen Z are influencing their payment habits. For example, four in 10 Gen X only embrace payment options only after they have seen friends and family using them. Also, the survey revealed that half of Gen Z have taught all their family members how to pay with their phones. I think it's just like a matter of time until Gen X get comfortable using uh, their smartphones for paying for their goods and services, knowing that the mobile payments have the technology uh, that will allow them to make the purchase without revealing any sensitive financial information. Even in terms of security, like if your physical wallet gets stolen, then someone has your card. Whereas even if someone takes your phone, they need to know your passcode and or they need to have facial recognition, right? So it seems to me that using your phone is even more secure. 100%, I agree with you. If your phone got stolen, no one will be able to make payments. Even if someone got use or got access to your phone, uh, they can't get access to your physical card number. Right, Because, as I said, we are using a technology that replaces the customer's physical card number or primary account number with uh, uh, something that we call a digital identifier or a token, which allow consumers to be able to make payments safe without revealing any sensitive financial information. Well, that's awesome. Do you, obviously, I'm sure, you are you pay with your phone, right? Absolutely, 100%. <laughs> I don't use my card anymore. <laughs> oh, interesting one. Now, Jerry, you just mm-hmm. aged out of, uh, not that, you know, I know how it works, but you're on the edge of Gen Z. So yes. you can identify with those who are just slightly younger than you. Yes, ideally. <laughs> do you use your phone a lot? Uh, I do, I do. Yeah, 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 I absolutely do. Wherever I can, I do. Um, to it's A, it's super easy to just whip your phone out and then hit your little button and then there you go. There's your Visa card. I actually don't have my Interact on it, but I do have my, my Visa card on my Apple wallet. And because uh, I hear as well, it's good against uh, skimmers too because it spits out like a dummy credit card number oh, yeah. so right. yeah it's like not even you, you just don't even have to worry so yeah especially if i'm like at a super small business where i don't quite know or if i'm at a gas station absolutely what about you well i just pulled up my apple wallet and uh yeah i've got a debit card there and a other bank card and a visa mm-hmm. and then i look down below I've got like Air Miles, Starbucks. I'm just okay. showing you this right yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, totally. So yeah, I'm really, I'm into using it. I also use my Apple Watch 
which mirrors many of the things in the iPhone. Oh, that's really James Bond. Yeah, and (laughs) I think I shared this story with you going back, uh, oh, a few years ago. Mm -hmm. Not that I shared a story a few years ago, but something that I did when the Apple Watch just came out. Right. Went through Starbucks and went to use the payment on the Apple Watch. Uh, Not the first time I had done this, but the held my watch up and the barista saw me holding my hand up and held my hand. She just took your hand. <laughs> she was Gen Z. She didn't know what the heck I was doing. But yeah, she just took my hand. I think I would have done the sweet. same in that situation if I was yeah. across the counter. I'm like, what is he doing? So okay. there you go. Like, I, I think I'm technology wise a little bit ahead. Yes. Although the pop machine out there also takes um, tap, apparently, Ooh. and I cannot get it to work. Oh, so there creepers. you go. Technology uh, is lagging. Yeah, so I, you know, there's my frustration. Um, where do you think we're going with this? Is it going to be more of uh, using our mobile devices, everybody? I think so. I think so. I've, my partner just recently converted their parents. Uh, last time they were in town, they were like, my partner was like, yeah, you need to go to put your put your bank card on your phone and then you can tap with it. And they they were they were right on board. So uh, we're slowly converting people as crazy millennials slash very elder Gen Z. Well, it is a convenience in a way. I'm waiting for driver's license and ID to be on it so I can actually park the uh, the wallet. The that would be so good if they could do the anti-counterfeit home. measures we're somehow. Getting yeah. We're getting there. It'll be coming soon. Thanks so much, Jerry. Thank you. Bray Wyatt. Yeah, third generation professional wrestler and former WWE champion, for those that don't know. Wyatt uh, took time off in February this year due to a life-threatening illness, and he was reportedly close to returning to the ring sometime soon after recovering. Unfortunately, he suffered a heart attack yesterday and unexpectedly did pass away. Here is a clip of Wyatt speaking to the audience last October when he returned for what ended up being his final run in the WWE. I I lost a lot of things. I lost my self-confidence. I thought that everything that I'd ever done here or otherwise, I thought it was all meaningless. Nothing I ever did has mattered to anyone. And then every once in a while, there would be someone I would meet that's truly remarkable. They would come to me and they would say, Bray, I just wanted to thank you, man, because I was in a time of need. And I felt weak, and I felt vulnerable, and in this weakened state, I found your words, Bray, and I just wanted to thank you, man. You saved my life, Bray, and the thing about that is, I can sit here right now today, and I can look all of you in the eyes, and I can say that you were there when I was weak, when I was vulnerable, when I was down, so I just wanted to say thank you. You all saved my life. Yeah, that indeed was Bray Wyatt speaking back last October when he was returning from what ended up being his final run in the WWE. Let's bring in Justin Dillon. He's a writer and host of the Wrestling Classic. It's a podcast. Justin, thanks for joining us. Hi, how are you? Uh, it's, a, it's a pleasure to be on here. Um, under these circumstances, it's tough, but uh, yeah. thank you for having me. Yeah, it is tough. And most of that is 
I think, related to just another young person dying uh, far before their time. We say that a lot, but it seems like uh, the WWE has had their fair share of tragedy when it comes to some young wrestlers passing away. They definitely have. This is the first time since uh, 2007 that someone that was actively on the roster under the age of 40 had, had passed away. Um, there obviously has been talent that wasn't with the company no more and then passed away following the fact. But um, for someone to be currently on the roster, currently signed, uh, like you said, um, edging towards a comeback, uh, you know, there was word that he uh, actually went to his cardiologist and got some tests done. They said that he was actually in the clear, yet he went home and uh, still suffered a heart attack and passing away. Um, it, it's been a while, but yet yeah, it's happened in the past. It just, it's really, because it's been so long, it, it was pretty unexpected. 36 years old. Wow. That really is young. And yes, we did know a little bit about uh, this illness. But did we know all that much? I mean, for a public figure, how many details did we actually know about uh, and his struggle? I mean, a lot of these details didn't come out till like the last 24 hours. Uh, beforehand, it was just, um, there was... Uh, awareness given of maybe a couple of weeks so that he was dealing with something that was, you know, um, could be, could cost him his life. And it was a serious illness, but there wasn't anything really more disclosed about it until the last 24 hours where the family have let some journalists open up and share a little bit more of the details. Um, but it, yeah, it wasn't anything that we were fully aware of until really the last 24 hours that's why it comes to be a little bit more shocking. And yeah, 36 is super young. I mean, there's a lot of wrestlers. I'll tell you that they've like, he, he did a lot and he's, he's achieved a lot and he had a lot of great moments, but most wrestlers will tell you, um, they, they, they feel like they're fully like a seasoned, fully seasoned veteran by the time they're in their forties. Not he didn't reach that point. No, he certainly did not did not become that seasoned veteran that uh, many would have hoped he would have become. Uh, Justin, as a writer and host of the Wrestling Classic, you have a rare opportunity to remember some of the better times with these people. What are your best memories of Bray? I think Bray Wyatt, uh, for me, and I think a lot of wrestling fans, was someone that brought a different... Uh, aspect of professional wrestling in a time where it, was, it felt like it was kind of missing, where most wrestlers became less character-based and more reality-based and more um, relatable in terms of, like, they just became, like, regular humans to an extent, like, exaggerated version of regular humans. Uh, Bray Wyatt brought that larger-than-life character side back to professional wrestling. The the spookiness, the, mytho- the mythical stuff, the the power, the stuff that everyone loved about people like The Undertaker or Kane or Mankind and some of the characters from our past, Bray brought that to the modern generation. I always say, um, you know, for a lot of us that are older, we, we had The Undertaker, we had Jake the Snake Roberts and The Ultimate Warrior and these crazy characters. And I think for the younger generation, they, they had Bray Wyatt. They had Bray Wyatt that was that character that scared them as a child and brought fear into this in their, in their lives as a character in, in professional wrestling. And I think he was just gifted. He's one of the most creative minds of the modern era, for sure. He didn't want to just be your professional wrestler. He wanted to be a unforgettable larger than life character. The WWE, um, well, 
what it was back in the years that uh, I grew up with it, watching it as a younger person. Um, you know, there were those big characters, larger than life for sure. And Bray Wyatt, of course, as you say, did embrace much of that. And then when you get something very real, like him passing away, you get fans that are just like, I can't believe it. You know, it hits them hard. You're following social media, of course. What are some of them saying? What's the uh, the feeling from some of his following? I think a lot of people are just, it's, it's a shock. It's, no one really believes that it's real yet. Uh, he just had returned in October. Um, you know, we got to see a glimpse of the real Wyndham Rotunda, which is his real name, in his uh, return promos. Uh, I don't think it, it, it just seems a little surreal for a lot of people. Because like I said, something just hasn't happened where someone you're watching weekly on television, for the most part, passed away in the company, um, in this company specifically since like the early 2000s or mid 2000s. Um, it's, it's, I think a lot of people are just more sad. Uh, they don't want to believe that it's real. It's a lot of uh, well wishes and condolences to the family and the friends of, of Wyndham, but it's more just a, it's a, it's a sense of shock, I think. Justin, if he had a legacy or something that he can continue to give going forward in his memory, uh, personality or some sort of influence or impact, what would that legacy be? Um, I, I would separate that in two answers. I think for the people that he worked with, um, you know, reading their tributes and reading their and watching their videos, paying tribute to him, I think he uh, was just a positive light to a lot of them. In, in terms of like in the locker room, I think he was someone that uh, was always trying to be there for everyone. So I think that's something anyone that's coming up in the wrestling business knows that like, you know, it goes really far being kind and uh, helping out your peers rather than, you know, um, thinking selfishly because he was very selfless as a fan. I think he left a legacy that it doesn't matter what's happening in the world of professional wrestling or what direction it's going in. You can steer it in the direction you want it to go. And it's okay to try things. And it's okay to throw things against the wall and see if it sticks. So that's what Bray Wyatt, the character, did. He threw things at the wall. He adapted. He evolved. And he saw what stuck. Not everything was great. People will, you know, will, a lot of people enter there next because he just passed away. But not everything was great. But the stuff that was great was really good. Great thoughts. Because he had the he had the courage to go try these things that other people might fear. Thanks for sharing. No, I appreciate that. And some really good thoughts uh, in Bray Wyatt and his contributions gone at the age of 36. You know, it's been a great summer for the most part, but every summer as we get closer and closer to Labor Day, and that's only a week away, I start to think, what did I miss out on? And this year, not much. I had a pretty good summer. Didn't miss out on the things like oh, oh, good weather and going down to, you know, areas where I could see ocean. Uh, I didn't miss out on going into the interior. Did all of that. But if I do have one regret, it's possibly that I didn't spend more time in my own backyard on a chair, just enjoying a nice, warm summer evening. And I think, why is that? And it comes down to basically this. This summer, every time I had a chance of doing that, I was bitten by mosquitoes. I would come out afterwards so much worse off than when I went out and really itchy and scratchy. And you know what? I usually don't get the mosquito bites, at least not that bad. 
even taking the dog out for a walk has been a terrible summer when it comes to mosquitoes. And I've heard others saying the same thing. So why is that? Well, to answer maybe that question, get some insight into it and talk a little bit about drought conditions and how they played into it, we'll bring in Dr. Ben Matthews. Dr. Ben Matthews is an assistant prof in the UBC Department of Zoology, and he thinks we could be getting a summer's worth of mosquitoes at once because of drought conditions. Ben, I thought it was always the moisture di- that did that. It was always uh, the rain. What's going on here? Yeah, great question, and and good to be with you. So, what I have noticed uh, out here at the UBC campus is that we had a, a few months where we had very little mosquito activity, and then all of a sudden, in the last week, uh, we we saw a big emergence. And what I think, if you look back at the weather, is that we had a lot of dry weeks, and then we had a few instances of rain. And what that rain does is it causes all the eggs that are lying around to hatch. And so the thing that not everybody knows about mosquitoes is that the larval and pupil stages, the the um, immature stages are actually aquatic, so they need to live in water. Um, And if there's no rain, there's no water, and so the eggs don't hatch. And as soon as we get that rain, they all hatch. And so by having really dry conditions followed by a bout of rain, I think we've synchronized them all, and so we've gotten this one big emergence, at least out in this neck of the woods. That's unfortunately very interesting. And I think about the uh, little sessions of rain. I think we're going to head into another couple coming up here. But... um, I guess we're just on standby waiting for many explosions in the population. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's true. And then once they emerge as adults, obviously they're flying around. And then that's when they like the warm and the dry weather. And that's going to keep them active and keep them buzzing around. And so that period of rain followed by dry and warm conditions, I, I think, makes us notice them more this time of year. We're talking about noticing them more. But in fact, are their numbers going up, going down or staying about the same? Do we know? Yeah, it's hard to know um, because we don't do a lot of systematic monitoring for mosquitoes around here, mostly because they don't carry a lot of disease, which is a, a great thing. They're, they're just a nuisance. Um, but what I suspect has happened is that we're not necessarily having more mosquitoes overall this summer, but that we're seeing them in more concentrated windows of time. So that will make it appear as if uh, there are more out there at this moment because there weren't as many a few weeks ago. Are there any areas of the lower mainland that are hit harder than other areas? And is that changing? Yeah, it's hard to say again. And I'm sorry, I don't have definitive answers. But there are over 50 species of mosquitoes in BC, and they each have their own preferred habitat. But as a rule of thumb, anywhere that has standing water, so anywhere with uh, ponds or puddles or man-made features, water features and uh, tires, things like that, is going to be at risk for, for mosquito activity. And so the areas around our neighborhood, I notice them, are those where there are uh, water features that aren't uh, drained on a regular basis or areas where there's low-lying um, water in ditches and, and things like that. You know, if you're afraid of snakes, you quite often point out some redeeming qualities like uh, pest control. If you're afraid of uh, spiders, you talk about controlling things like mosquitoes. Is there anything that mosquitoes offer us? (laughs) Great question. And yes, so they are pollinators, just like bees are. So both male and female mosquitoes will visit flowers for their nectar, and then they can uh, take pollen to the next and uh, serve the ecosystem that way. They also serve as food for birds and bats and and other insects as well. Um, So yeah, it's definitely a nuisance to us. And in some parts of the world, they do worse than that. They transmit uh, disease, but they also have ecosystem services. So if we could snap our fingers and get rid of all the mosquitoes, that's not necessarily something we'd want to do lightly. 
What a great answer. And that's going to cut one conversation out that I've always had. Uh, they offer nothing, I guess. Uh, you know, <laughs> can't say that yeah. at the barbecue anymore. Uh, Dr. Matthews, thanks so much. Uh, what a pleasure. My pleasure. And uh, I hope you don't get bitten too much in the next few weeks. Oh, I'll try not to. Dr. Thanks for listening to the Jazz Joe Hall Show podcast. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can always listen to the Jazz Joe Hall Show live Monday to Friday from 3 to 6 p.m. on 980 CKNW and connect with me on Twitter at Jazz Joe Hall BC. Talk to you next time.